Britain is a land of deep history, literally. And in many corners when you dig, you can find something from a mysterious and ancient civilization just under the ground. In fact, they say if you scratch Gloucestershire, you'll find Rome. And I think if you scratch Rome in Britain, you'll find sites that are from an even earlier civilization. We're joined now by a historian and tour guide named Roy Nichols, who lives in England, and he's going to talk about what they're digging up these days in his homeland. Roy Nichols, thanks for joining us. Pleasure to see you, Rick. So I love that saying, if you scratch Gloucestershire, you'll find Rome. Give us a little context. Where's Gloucestershire and what does that Gloucestershire mean? Gloucestershire is west of London, uh, mm-hmm. one of the counties that is part of the Cotswolds. And the reason they say that, although in truth it applies all over England, is that this was a, a huge concentration of large Roman villas, large estates, very wealthy. And so the artifacts that are find are very, you know, commensurately well, uh, rich as well. And because of the, the soil, it's very, very shallow. And so you can go down 18 inches and find numerous things like Roman villas, large, extensive buildings. Because of the soil, it's very shallow. What do you mean? You don't get large deposits of um, alluvial or topsoil oh, accumulating. Oh, is that because there's that um, chalk underneath? Yes, it that's something? right. The underlying rock is chalk, and often the, the layer of topsoil mm-hmm. is only going to be about 18 inches, 2 feet oh, deep. Okay. And often these will show up as grass marks or marks that you can see from aerial photographs. So if you flew over, you could kind of look at some odd features and realize, oh, there was something Roman. Oh, yes. And in fact, through the whole of Britain, um, the development of flight and the development of aerial photography in the late uh, 1910s and 1920s really led to a huge leap in archaeological investigation. So that's a real boon to the uh, discovery of yeah. the Roman civilization. And you could do a whole trip through Britain just on Roman sites. Oh, exactly. And something like one-third of Roman sites that um, are thought to exist have never been examined or even discovered. In Britain. In Britain. And a lot of people don't realize it, but when the Romans came, there was already lots of stuff going on. Well, people had been living in the British Isles for eight or 10,000 years prior to this. Um, I mean, it is just fascinating, the ancient history. Of course, you got the Stonehenge stuff and everything, and even Joseph of Arimathea, right? Arimathea, yes. Now, the... now this is mind-blowing, but there is reason to believe that Joseph from biblical times, I mean, from Jesus' time, actually traveled up to Britain. How on earth would they be able to uh, surmise that? Tin was an important, uh, obviously, trading item. Um, one mm-hmm. of the major sources of tin was the southwest of England. But it is thought Mediterranean people came to the southwest of England to trade in tin. And, and who was Joseph of Arimathea? Well, he, uh, he's said to be one of the, the followers of Jesus Christ. Uh-huh. Um, and there's some controversy about who the, who the actual Joseph was. One's, uh, but, I mean, if you believe in the Holy Grail... What would be the, maybe far-fetched, but the, what would be the theory? The Holy Grail uh, is the cup that was used at the Last Supper, and it's thought it contained the blood of Christ and that it was lost and taken by Joseph Arimathea to what became England a few years after the death of Christ, who settled in what is called Somerset near Glastonbury, founded a very early simple church there, and the Holy Grail is to be found somewhere within the Glastonbury area. And Glastonbury, it's not just a coincidence that this Holy Grail lore ends up in Glastonbury because this is very spiritual for the uh, pre-Roman, uh, pre-Christian well, it's, it's, people uh, that were there. Well, there was a writer called Lawrence Durrell who coined a phrase, spirit of place. And it refers to those places that regardless of the religion or the way that people express their beliefs, have some mystical or ritual significance. And you'll find this in even places like Avebury and Stonehenge, or even where you've got prehistoric sites and then a later Christian church is built on the site, um, because there's something about that site that gives it something that's attractive to people. So if you're a curious detective of a sightseer and you're looking at a church, 
What might you see in the church that would indicate that there was something holy and spiritual there before the church was on that spot? Well, it's usually not actually within the church itself. If you look at a site, a Christian site, that is built on a mound, for instance, that's often indicative of a pagan site. Down close to where I live in, in Dorset, there is a Norman church, in other words, in an 11th, 12th century building, uh-huh. built inside a Neolithic henge monument. Now, this dates to about 4,500 BC. Whoa. There's a ditch and embankment that is, is a ritual place or was a ritual place for the Neolithic people. Now, would uh, that be a kind of religious imperialism? You choose to build your important building on top of the previous guys? Well, there's an, there's an element of that because when people are, say, you've got a new settlers coming into an area mm-hmm. and they see these large monuments in the landscape, then they want to associate themselves. They'll bury their own dead close to those places, those sites. But at the same time, I like to think that there is some sort of understanding and appreciation of earlier beliefs mm-hmm. um, that they want to associate themselves okay, with. Okay, so it's a positive thing. Oh, yes. I think there is that element to it. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're speaking with Roy Nichols about digging up England. If you scratch England, you'll find Rome. If you scratch that, you'll find something even before that. And there's a lot of digging going on in England right now. Our phone number is 877-333-7425. Mary Jane's on the line in Santa Ynez, California. Mary Jane, thanks for your call. Hi, Rick. I'm a metal detector in California. When we visit England, uh, when we do home exchanges, we're there for about a month in the summer. Where in England could I go, do you think, to find some interesting small metal artifacts? Mm. Well, that's a very good question. Again, there are many rules and regulations, Mary Jane, about, for starters, you need to have permission you can't just go onto any piece of land and metal detect. So you have to have the, owner, the landowner's permission and you have to be there legally. What I would do... Is, is that a government protection or the landowner's well, permission? Well, both. both. There are national regulations about metal detecting. You certainly can't detect on ancient sites, right. protected sites, but even on private land. Mm-hmm. Um, right, you need and the that's owner's... the same here in the U.S. I mean, that's just a common courtesy as well. What I would do, if you're coming to um, Britain for a holiday and you want to bring your equipment with you, contact one of the many, many local meta-detecting clubs. They're all over England. They're all mm. over Britain. Um, you that's can go exciting. online. I can't remember the email address um, or the URL, but I'm sure you can Google it and find it. Work out where you're going to stay, contact one of the local clubs, they'll have a club secretary, and they'll be more than happy to help you um, get the best out of your visit. And you could join the club, join them on one of their um, expeditions. Excursions. Excursions Excursions or expeditions. An outing. Yeah. Hey, Mary Jane, this reminds me, Roy and I have a friend, a a dear man who passed away recently, Arthur Smith, up in Scotland, in uh, Glencoe. And Arthur would, every time I'd come up there, he'd give me a Roman coin. And I think, oh, Arthur, this is so precious, a 2,000-year-old Roman coin from Britannia. And he had told me they're actually quite common because he said in the old days, before people would go into some kind of a, a town or something, they would bury their coins outside because there was a good chance they'd get ripped off when they went in. Consequently, to this day, centuries later, you, you can find these old caches of, of coins if you have a metal detector. Well, you don't even need to. A, a good time of the year to come is either the spring or the autumn when plowing is on. And if you're just walking across land, I, I go field browsing all the time, field walking. I'm, I'm often looking for pottery, Roman pottery, and other uh, older Neolithic pottery. But you'll often find odd fragments of metal. I found brooches, occasional coins. And as Rick says, they're very, very common in the Roman period, particularly smaller denomination coins like denarii. Roy, by the way, while we're talking about uh, field browsing or whatever you call it, talk about beachcombing on the Thames in London at low tide. 
Well, again, it's very restricted and very uh, controlled, and you do need a license on the banks of the River Thames, and you're only you're not allowed to dig more than. No, I'm not talking digging. I mean, I'm just talking walking through the pebbles and picking up. Pieces well, you still of... need a license for that. So I've broken the law. Um, well, idle <laughs> browsing, but if you're doing it as a sort of concerted okay. project, or but what are you likely to find on the on the Thames? It can be anything. It can be coins. It can be metal objects. It can be bottles. It can be jars. Because I found all these little bits of pipes back in the old days. When yes, we had the clay old pipes. clay tobacco pipes. Well, I understand they would smoke it and then toss it out the yeah. window and, it and, and in the river. You know, rivers are a very very good place because people are so casual and they lose things by accident. But whenever you're walking through the countryside, it's well worth keeping your eyes on the ground, mm-hmm. um, particularly after an, a field has been ploughed, because you'll be surprised what you can find. Mary Jane, thanks for your call. Thank you so much. Good luck on your metal detecting. <laughs> I can't wait. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking about digging up England. And, and Roy, just to finish things off, I know Stonehenge has been closed for a while. It's reopened. What's new at Stonehenge? For many, many years, there's been plans to change the visitor centres, which have been considered very poor at um, Stonehenge. And the idea is to return the whole site to a more natural setting, rather than it being dominated by roads and by car parks. Because be- before, when you stand at Stonehenge, which is, what, four or 5,000 years old, this amazing, majestic stone circle... You could hardly hear yourself think because the freeway was right there. Yeah, there's a major road, two major roads close by. Right. They're closing one of the roads and have already done so. The visitor center is remote from the site itself. And then you're taken over to Stonehenge mm-hmm. itself to see Stonehenge as it should be in a much more natural setting. So there's a new visitor center. It's away from the site. The setting seems more remote and, and detached exactly. now, more peaceful. Exactly. And of course, when it was built thousands of millennia ago, that's how it was meant to be. It was meant to be seen mm-hmm. in a wild landscape. And I understand they've discovered a new sort of twin hinge or circle, a wooden one, or the remains Well, of we're that. beginning to realize that the whole of these landscapes around places like Stonehenge and Avebury and smaller sites are great, what they call ritual landscapes. Mm-hmm. It's not just one monument and one evolution of a monument. It's a whole series of different monuments. And this is an older, a whole different features and uh, dating from thousands of years prior to... So there's an ensemble of historic and spiritual sites all together from different ages. And and it's changed the perspective and the way that people express themselves. One of the most fascinating days I remember is outside of Bath, going to Avebury with a local tour guide who was a specialist in this stuff. And everywhere I looked, there were remnants of four or 5,000 years ago, the people that predated the Romans in Britain. Yes. From about 4,000 BC, with the beginning of the Neolithic, you get a great monumentalization of the landscape when people start to build burial mounds, henge monuments, other monuments in the landscape, and really beginning to dominate the landscape rather than being in and part of it. Fascinating. Roy Nichols, thank you so much for giving us a look at Digging Up England. My pleasure, Rick. Rick Steves has spent a third of his adult life in Europe researching and writing guidebooks. His classic, Europe Through the Back Door, teaches the skills of smart travel. At Rick Steves' online travel store, you'll also find guidebooks for London, England, Great Britain, Scotland, and Ireland. To learn more about Rick's guidebooks for this region and beyond, visit the travel store at ricksteves.com.